0: This is the 343 podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. I met Sky Eddie Bruce at a marketing conference in Denver, Colorado in 2016. And how we actually met is uh, is a pretty funny story. And her and I will actually revisit that during this episode. But the more important part is that we've stayed in contact and have helped each other in more ways than one. Sky is the founder of soccerparenting.com. And the mission statement from her website states that the goal is to elevate the game and enhance every child's youth soccer experience by engaging, educating, empowering, supporting, and advocating for parents. And this might sound a little bit weird coming from me, but I agree 100% that the parents are an integral part of the equation and oftentimes ignored or undervalued or just left sitting on the sidelines instead of being empowered with proper education. In fact, one of the things we've been working on behind the scenes here at 343 is a parent education course of our own. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But Sky is a former NCAA uh, athlete. With strong ties to some of the most uh, influential people in American soccer history, and Tony DiCicco being one of those people, and she talks about she talks a lot about or not a lot, I guess, but she shares some stories about Tony in this episode, and specifically her her favorite memory of working with Tony. Uh, an interesting, very interesting chapter of Sky's life was when she risked everything that she had here in the United States and moved to Italy. To pursue a career there, a soccer career there, and she reveals the details of that experience and tells some hilarious stories during this interview. <laughs> she had me, she had me cracking up. Um, but we talk about a ton of things, and this little introduction and 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 the write up that's on the website they they do absolutely no justice to her soccer career and her body of work. She is a fountain of knowledge with real experience to back up the work that she puts out, and. I really encourage you guys to go and check out what she's up to at Soccer Parenting. And you can find those links to SoccerParenting.com and to her, her social media platforms as well. You can find those on 343Coaching.com. And just a reminder that this podcast and all of the 343 Podcasts are brought to you by 343Coaching.com and the 343 Coaching programs specifically. And you can choose between a free seven-week course or the premium multi-phase course both of those courses give you an inside look at the cutting-edge training methods that are being used at the top levels of the game from youth to pro and the online courses are what help drive this podcast and so I want to take a second and just say thank you to all of the 343 members because without you guys this literally would not exist so I, I want you guys to know that I truly appreciate you And I want to thank you for being part of the 343 community. And if you're not a member and you want to learn more about the 343 coaching programs, you can find all the information at 343coaching.com. And while you're there, you can also find over 200 written articles, videos, more podcasts like this one. And if you enjoy this podcast, whether you're a member or not a member or just a first-time listener or a long-time listener, whatever, uh, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the show would be much appreciated. All right. You can find all that stuff at 343coaching.com. You can find the write-up for this podcast, 343coaching.com. Let's get into today's episode. I think that you're going to enjoy this one. It felt good to have a a conversation that wasn't uh, a topic that is always talked about. So it felt like something kind of new and fresh and and information that is just different than what's normally out there. And I uh, I was honored to spend an hour with With Sky Eddie Bruce, and I hope that you guys enjoy our conversation. Thank you. Hey, John. Good morning. Or afternoon for you, sorry. I know, really. (laughs) How are you doing?
1: Good, good. No complaints here. Been a productive day so far.
0: What What do you do? What what do you do with the rest of your day? I know. I I know you. Well, we'll we'll talk about it too, so everybody else knows. But I know you have soccer parenting. But what else uh, takes up your time?
1: Yeah. Well, I own a residential real estate company. So Got
0: it. Okay.
1: this soccer parenting stuff started sort of as my passion project. And um, it's, it's thankfully becoming more and more of what I, what I do on a more full-time basis.
0: That's awesome. So I guess uh, tell everybody what uh, soccer parenting is because that's how I met you. And I'll, I'll, I guess we can, we can tell that story a little bit uh, as well. But what is, what is soccer parenting?
1: Yeah, So I started the Soccer Parenting Association, really the idea for, for it was probably born about eight or nine years ago, but I officially started it four years ago. Um, my mission with it is to educate, engage, advocate for, and empower youth soccer parents um, in an effort to elevate the game. Um, just coming at this mission that we all have to improve the game, uh, a little bit from a different level or context than a lot of people, my idea is that by empowering parents to demand uh for a better environment uh to be empowered to understand how great youth soccer can be and to demand that environment for their kids then we'll we 'll really see some improvement
0: and and i I do want to talk about how we actually we actually met. Because it's kind of a funny story, and you and I talked on the phone last week, and I think you, you mentioned one one piece that's kind of funny, too. Um, so if you don't mention that part, I'll make sure I remind you in just a second. But um, mm-hmm. we we met in Denver, and it was uh, myself, Gary, and him and I had actually flown out there for a conference uh, put on by... See, this is where I always get confused, too. I don't know what to call those guys. Copyblogger? Rainmaker, Rainmaker probably. Rainmaker. Rainmaker, okay. yeah. Yeah, so Rainmaker... Yes. And, and they put on a, a, a digital marketing summit, I think is what they called it. And it's just a big conference where uh, people kind of get together and they learn from other digital marketers and on uh, how to develop and, and sell online products. And so you were there doing something for soccer parenting, and Gary and I were there learning for three for three. But I, I'm, maybe you can kind of pick up from there and, and tell the rest of the story.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um So my format of my website is that I have Soccer Parenting, which is my public blog that I'm posting content on quite frequently. Um, And then I have a completely separate site called MySoccerParenting.com, which is a membership site similar to you all's where um, clubs and individual parents are purpose or purchasing access uh, so that clubs are able to empower parents with a parent education platform. Um, So that's why I was there. And, you know, after sitting there for a day and getting overwhelmed with all this content stuff and meeting some great people that are all doing similar things in different industries. um, I remember somebody saying, Hey, I, I met a soccer guy. There's a soccer person here. And I'm like, Oh, really? Um, so I sat down right in front of you guys as we were getting ready, as a new speaker was starting and introduced myself. And I, I so remember Gary saying, what do you do? And tried to explain soccer parenting and, um, kind of got a little bit of a rebuff until he checked out the site. And then he came back to me and said, Hey, it's some good stuff. So the, the friendship was born there.
0: And then I think we all ended up going out and and grabbing some drinks or something at one point. And, uh, one of the things that you told me last week on the phone, though, is that when you came across Gary and I in Denver, and this is about, let's see, almost a, a year ago exactly, actually. It was in October, I think. Um, you didn't know much about the pro rel movement that was going on.
1: No, I didn't. It's not that I didn't know much about it, it's that I had never even heard of it. Which you know I'm I'm okay saying, and I'm sure your your, <laughs> your listeners are rolling their eyes, but I think it's actually a really important concept for people to be thinking about. Um, obviously, yeah, over a few drinks and maybe um, maybe a couple more than a few, we I, I got the whole <laughs> lowdown from you guys about this whole movement, and and really you know started to understand more about how important it is, not just within just pro soccer in general, but really just even in pushing my mission forward of elevating the game and the importance of, of, um, you know, that movement trickling down even into the youth game and how that could impact the youth game. Um, so I think that's fascinating that I had really in and I've been involved with soccer forever. Um, and it really wasn't until then that I, that had really ever, you know, been clued, clued into it. So, um, important for you guys to think about and just continuing to get your messaging out about, about the promotion relegation.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting that people don't really uh, connect the dots from from the top to the bottom. So a lot of people think that we are are only talking about professional soccer and the impacts it would have on professional soccer, but it has a an impact on on the entire ecosystem, and and not even just uh, professional soccer at this point. So there's There's going to be impacts on on other American sports, and so it's it's a very very deep 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 topic, and. Yeah, it's anytime we get a chance to talk about it, obviously we're really passionate. So I'm sure that <laughs> you you sitting there with the with the drink in your hand listening to Gary and I, you're probably like, What the fuck are these guys talking about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, uh, no, I was really interested. I was. I was sitting at the edge of my seat, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: okay, let, let's uh let's kinda clue people in on, on who you are though, and 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 why you're even involved in soccer. You kinda you kinda dropped a hint right now that you've been involved with soccer forever. I'm familiar with your story, but I don't know the whole story. So, um, what, when, when did soccer become part of, of, of your journey?
1: Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll kind of give the longer version to that and then sort of connect it to soccer parenting and this movement. I mean, I grew up in Northern Virginia. I grew up in Reston. I was born in 1971. So, you know, I'm definitely a title IX baby. Um, was, was given amazing opportunities to play um, growing up, and was on our youth national teams. I was a youth All-American. Um, went on and played collegiately at University of Massachusetts. I transferred. I played my last season at George Mason University, where we went on to lose in the national championship game to Chapel Hill. I was a first-team All-American in college. Um, I was MVP of the Final Four, and that was in 1993 and that was pretty much the last game I ever played because at that point there was no really other opportunities for females unless you were actively in the national team pool and going to training camps on a regular basis. There just really wasn't soccer. Of course I played, which would be maybe the equivalent of a Division Four, Division Five team here, um, you know, traveling up to Philadelphia to play for the Philadelphia Freedom and such, but there really weren't a lot of opportunities. Um, but I stayed involved with the game, I um, worked for Lanzara for a number of years. Lanzara was the first American US soccer manufacturer, had an amazing job with them in marketing and promotions, really connected to a lot of sort of the movers and shakers and coaches and such uh, within US soccer. UVA, Bruce Arena, um, Princeton, Bob Bradley, all of those guys were coaches that were part of our Lanzara group. And then I just could not put the playing bug to rest. Um, kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it, kept getting older. And so been do was doing a ton of coaching throughout all of this time. I worked as a director for number one camps. I was Dr. McNich's first female director. I worked as a director for Tony DeChico, huge mentor of mine with Soccer Plus Camps. So it re- really was involved with the game, but sold everything and moved overseas. Um, decided that I just couldn't put this playing bug to rest and moved to, um, to Udine, Italy and played for Tavignac Feminile for a very brief time. I could never really sort out the visa that I needed to, but had an amazing experience, um, in Udine because I was living in the hotel with all the Udinese single players or guys that were there on trial all stayed and lived in this hotel. And they were just fantastic to me as i was riding around on my borrowed bike with broken brakes and they had their sports cars you know they started picking me up from practices taking me out <laughs> to dinner and then the there would be an there'd be a home game and all these guys would leave the hotel i would stay in room 402 and ac milan would come and stay at the hotel or <laughs> it's like <laughs> And I had no idea what was going on. This is really before the internet. I had a, I had a laptop. I couldn't even connect. It was like the AOL modem trying to connect. Um, and I, I had no idea what was going on. It was so over my head. Oh, so many of you guys would be so disappointed that I didn't take further advantage of, of all of that opportunity. But it was a great soccer experience. And I came back and coached, coached at the University of Richmond, which has brought me down to Richmond now. And, um, and then as my kids started growing up in the game um, and I continued to coach, um, you know, soccer parenting was born the day my daughter went out to her U8 training, which is her first paid coaching environment for the Richmond Strikers, um, a club that I'm on the board with now and coach with now. Um, and her playing environment was just completely subpar. It was just lacking in quality. And I was very disappointed in what was being given to these players. And when I looked around and I saw all the parents, for the most part, were completely satisfied and complacent with the environment, I realized that we need to educate parents on what a quality environment looks like if we really want to elevate the youth game. So that's that's what brought me to this point here.
0: I I, I want to go back to something you mentioned about your college career. So you said you were... The MVP of the Final Four,
1: I was. I was the defensive MVP. Um, the- that's what happens when you get six goals scored against you. I was the goalkeeper. What a horrible last college Got game. Got it.
0: Got <laughs> it. Okay. But um, no,
1: no, no. But we, um well, we 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 beat Stanford in PKs in the semifinals, where I saved a couple PKs to get into the to the national championship game, Got and. It. I think I had like 32 saves in that game and six goals scored against me in the finals. So it was, it was quite a game.
0: Yeah. To me, I, I guess where my brain went automatically is that, okay, here, here's another story of somebody that had a very, very successful college career and and then there was no opportunity for them at the end of it. And it's like, how can somebody that makes the final four or the final actually have, have no, no opportunity at all after that. And and I guess, 343 has told a story before about one of our guys, Choco, and, and, and he was like the runner-up for the Herman Trophy and then didn't even get drafted out of, the, out of NCAA. So it's like MLS just totally just, just overlooked him. And that was kind of a shock. Um,
1: yeah. I think my lesson and my story from that is just having the right people in your corner to advocate for you. You know, I do believe, yeah, I totally should have been given a more legitimate shot at the national team and brought into national team camps. And, um, but I wasn't, I mean, I have no, I have no qualms about that now. The, the past is the past, but, um, but I think our, I think our certainly, I mean, that was 25 years ago. Our, our youth soccer and our national team identification process, I think has, has certainly changed and evolved.
0: What do you mean by, by having the right people in your corner? that, that fascinates me.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's certainly some politic thing that goes on. Um, unfortunately, I guess at the highest of levels, um, where, you know, having the right people make a phone call for you or, um, but, but at the bottom line is, is that, you know, and I, I do truly believe this is that I, I had opportunities in college where I did have national team tryouts and I didn't perform as well as I needed to. So, you know, it is what it it is. It's not like I was never given a shot, but I think having the right people in your corner to advocate for you is, is important and is essential. Um, just so that we can give these players an understanding of what the landscape is. I think for you all, for the, for the men's side, that goes really, really deep. Um, you know, for these young, really talented players having big decisions to make about going co- collegiate or going professional at a younger age, um, you know, having somebody there that's guiding them and supporting them and really in their all out for their best interest is essential.
0: One of the things that came to mind is, is um, a podcast, another podcast. I've had Tristan Bowen on, on this show. Yeah, but- I
1: listened to that. That was great.
0: Yeah, and and Tristan, Tristan hosts a show of his own and I listened to an episode of uh, of his the other day on my way to uh on my way to Gary's house actually and the guest and I'm not even going to try to say his name it starts with a Z and then ends with a bunch of other <laughs> letters that are just I thought just thrown together but apparently it's a real name. Um but uh <laughs> the the guest was talking about Something similar, like having the right people in your corner, and he was talking specifically about agents and and how having the right agent can can make a world of difference. And, and he was kind of saying the, the agency world for the most part, a lot of people are in it for like the short term reward, and they don't really care about the player's career, and they're looking to maybe land you a, a a trial deal here or there, and and get you to sign like a quick contract just so they can, I don't know, look good on paper. Uh, but, but he was saying that the, the agency aspect and the paperwork actually, so that's something that you mentioned too, just a minute ago, he's saying that, that having, having a good agent and, and understanding how the paperwork and the process of doing your paperwork, especially if you're traveling overseas, um, those are two very crucial aspects that really the general public is not exposed to at all. And, and so it's always good to, to, to kind of hear somebody else in, in in some regard, echo those, those two things. So people become aware of those.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think what the bigger picture to what you're saying is, is just sort of the maturation that's happening in soccer these days where people now are realizing, Hey, I have a choice in an agent or, Hey, I have a choice in what youth club I'm going to send my kids to, or, Hey, I have a choice in, um, you know, where I'm going to choose to develop as a player or where I'm going to, if I'm, what pathway I'm going to choose. So, um that, and that's exciting because the game's growing. I mean, it's certainly growing from the time where I was where I was um, developing as a player, and um, and it's really really exciting. I think right now to see to see this sort of next generation of of soccer in the United States. Not even players. I mean, just just environment.
0: When when you went to Italy, did you have an agent, or did you just like? I don't, no, not you, you really. Said it was, I mean. You, I want to backtrack too. How did you even get in contact with him? Because you said you had a laptop, but it was like AOL days. So you didn't just send him an email, I'm sure.
1: So my goalkeeper coach at George Mason was an amazing guy. His name was Manu. And um, he was a very part-time goalkeeper coach. Great guy. I really enjoyed working with him for that season. Um, But he owned he's from Italy, from Northern Italy, and owned a wine um, importing business. And so he would travel – northern italy quite a lot and just at some point on his travels he met up with ennio i wrote about ennio um just last week for soccer parenting because um sadly he passed away and he was the manager for the team that i played for in italy and great man um really just all about sport for the right reasons and impacting lives and um his family sort of became my second family for sure and um, so this relationship between Manu and Ennio. But, um, you know, yeah, for me to get my player pass, to be able to get approval from U.S. soccer, to be able to go and play was actually a process. Um, I don't think it would happen now, but nobody knew where my player pass was because, you know, I hadn't played in like three years on a team and, and you know, it hadn't really been tracked. So um, just getting out of the United States and getting approval from U.S. soccer was a process in itself. But no, I didn't specifically have an agent um, you know, in the women's game without a lot of money, um, going back and forth, that's, it's a lot harder. Um, you know, the whole agency concept is something that needs to, to really be evaluated.
0: Uh, I'm curious, and you can absolutely say no. And, and even if you, if, if you say no, I can edit all this out too, but are you <laughs> comfortable, t- are, you, are you comfortable talking about the money side of, of those days you were in Italy?
1: Yeah, I mean there's not much to talk about. Um <laughs> I my contract had a salary a really, really low salary, like probably the equivalent of like $90,0 a month is probably equivalent. But I never got any money. I literally, I mean, John, there's so <laughs> many stories like this. I'm sure that other people have. I essentially had to go to the owners and I tell the story in this article too. <laughs> I had to go to the owners and ask them for money. I literally was poor. I had no money. I, was, I would like sit down at the cafe in the morning because um, I trained in the afternoon, and I would just wait for one of the Udinese players to come by to be able to buy my coffee. <laughs>
0: <'Cause I had laughs> money to buy it.
1: Sometimes it had to sit there for like 45 minutes or an hour until I could wave one of them <laughs> over. And I never had to ask them; they always just bought it. So I quickly learned, okay, just wait for a player. Um, I had to just, yeah. There was one time where I told this story in the article. I ha- I asked this man Gigi for um for some money, and he said, oh yeah yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow we go to lunch, and and you know we'll we'll I'll give you the money then. So I met him for lunch downtown, and of course he starts to like reach across the table and try to hold my hand. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> and so thank goodness, Mac Kenyatta, he's a goalkeeper. Max was awesome. He, he walked by, I like quickly flagged him down and he brought me back to the hotel. Um, and Ennio quickly took care of it. But, um, <laughs> no, I mean it, it, there's, there's, there's very little money, especially then. I mean, this was in gosh, 1997 there there was just so little money in the women's soccer in Europe, but um, but I will say, I mean, to get back to the soccer of it, I learned so much tactically from my time with my team there. Um, so many things that I never understood about how to organize the defense, um, when to force a player to to pressure the ball, when not to. If my outside back on the far side of play wasn't marking to, you know, I didn't not having to have them mark so closely. It's just little things and nuances of the game that in. All of my time growing up in the States and all the playing experiences that I had, nobody had ever thought to teach me the, the tactical side um, of the game. Like, like I just, right when I got there, despite all the language differences, quickly, quickly learned so much.
0: And you were learning from the Italians and that's, that's kind of their thing too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> who, who better to learn defensive strategy from, right?
0: Yeah. So you ended, uh, you ended up staying in Italy for how long?
1: Four and a half, five months.
0: Four and a half, five months, and then back to back to the United came, States.
1: Yeah, came back to the states and um, had a couple of job opportunities. Um, either my decision was, do I get into MLS and ticket sales, or do I come down to Richmond to coach? And I opted to to stay in the game coaching. It's always been a, a passion of mine, and you know something I'm still doing.
0: Do you remember like your first? training sessions or your first like couple a uh, couple of experiences with richmond strikers do you remember any of the struggles or successes or any stories that really stand out from that time
1: um with the youth club the strikers yeah, yeah. um you mean for my daughter or for me like- um
0: uh, so were you were you coaching before your daughter was involved or was that after yeah
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always been a goalkeeper coach. Um, and so I'd always, you know, been working on the goalkeeper side of, you know, doing small group training sessions and things within the club, but had never really been involved up in, and I'd always coached my kids in the recreation environment for sure. But, um, you know, going out and seeing her environment, it was, this is what happened. She'd get out to training and they'd, they'd have three or four minutes of juggling the ball. And then they would do this dribbling exercise where the coach would call out one and they would do a step over. He'd call out two and they'd pull the ball back. He'd called out three and they would do a change of pace, you know? So it was like literally the exact same 20 minutes of starting of training in this really rote environment. And then they'd move into situations where there were three balls on the field for 13 players and they're standing in lines and there's cones everywhere and, um, you know, they're never being taught how to think the game. And, you know, my daughter got, got bored really quickly and I don't blame her. I would have been bored too. Um, so if that's what your question was about her environment, I mean, it was just a really subpar environment for, for the youth, but you know, the Richmond strikers, I'll say they're completely changed now. Um, and if I can, I'll kind of tell that story. Is that okay? Absolutely. (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at our environment and I'm seeing how lacking in quality it is. And so I decide to look to the other parents and a couple of parents, I, you know, say, Hey, you know, uh, how's your daughter doing? Is she having fun? And, you know, some of them were like, ah, you know, not so much. Or, or some of them were like, yeah, she's doing great. Um, and so I quickly realized I didn't really have the support of other parents in going to talk to the club directors. So, you know i decided to go myself and the moment i sat down and talked to our executive director um and and voiced my concerns about the environment i was perceived as a crazy soccer parent you know that's a really really easy thing to do um it was it was assumed that my daughter maybe wasn't getting the playing time she wanted or wasn't playing the position that she wanted or i wanted for her and i was this overzealous parent expecting too much of the club And immediately, like I said, I was a crazy soccer parent. And when I was sort of dismissed, um, as I was in that moment, I said, I'm joining the board and I'm going to make sure you get fired (laughs) in my head. I said that I didn't say that out loud (laughs) because I don't think I would have found my way onto the board. But literally the next day I went and I met with a board member and I asked to get more involved and I was put on the board. And within three, three and a half years, that executive director was replaced. And, and with that replacement has come this amazing change um, within our club, within Richmond Youth Soccer in general. You know, our club was able to merge, at, that was not a word we like to use, to collaborate with the Richmond Kickers, our, our <laughs> huge competitors. But we collaborated with them to form Richmond United a whole separate club where our DA and where our ECNL girls are competing. And so we're we're joining forces with, with a competing club to support players in terms of player development. So those types of things have been able to happen with this new executive director, new leadership. Now I'm coaching. I'm coaching a U10 girls team. I'm at the fields where I was at that time to see my daughter. And it's amazing environment. These kids are receiving a really, really good soccer education. Of course, there's always room for improvement. But um, but the exciting thing is is that improvements happening because of the mentality of the coaches is that they're seeking quality as well and they're seeking to improve and so the whole environment of the club is trans is sort of transitioned to a really more productive one when it comes to player development it's exciting.
0: There there's something that I tweeted out last week that kind of got a lot of. Um... It got a lot of activity, so a lot of people started to chime in with their opinions and their experiences. And so this is this is what I said. No, it's not it's not word for word, but basically, I, I had said that I I feel bad for recreational players, and I don't know what I can do to help because I get the feeling that in a lot of cases, and I, I, I have I have tried to reach out to coaches before, and this has been my experience that recreational coaches don't want help. And I know that there, that there are some that do, but for the most part, every time that I've tried to engage with a, with a recreational coach, they have this attitude of they know what's best for their team or they know what they're doing. And I'm just stuck standing there like, shit, like these kids are, uh, they, they have no idea that what they're being taught is just completely wrong. And, yeah.
1: But and, Sean, I got to interrupt you. Please. This is the problem with youth soccer in the United States. It's not just rec coaches. This is our culture. Absolutely, we love coaches too. I mean, everyone thinks Absolutely. that. and
0: Absolutely. this lack
1: of confidence that we have in ourselves. I think the whole rec environment is is maybe a, an issue into itself. Is that how much can we really expect of a recreational level coach? But but just to digress, I mean, th- this is the culture that we're talking about within the United States, and it comes from the top down, and it impacts. Everything that we do when it comes to player development and the environment in which our kids participate and it's a huge problem and it's one that I'm really trying to tackle with a soccer parenting association. I mean, one of my key missions for this year is to bridge the gaps and change the collective mindset of youth clubs and coaches when it comes to engaging parents and the importance of connecting with them. Because a, a club coach pushing away a parent is no different than a rec coach putting a, pushing away your support, or a club coach saying that they don't want you know any other help from a coaching education standpoint, or you know, historically, when we've gone to our, take our national licenses with U.S. soccer and we've asked a question and the the person teaching the course has said, oh, you know, this happened to me in my B license. I asked a question about my about um, my topic and I was set, I was told to go ask the other candidates that they couldn't help me. I'm like, that's what your job is. And so we have <laughs> this divide that exists. We have this lack of trust that exists. We have this um, real lack of a of a quality, to use that word again, environment for, for our players. So um, the whole rec thing is a whole separate idea. Um, I wrote about that last week. We need a national curriculum for our recreational coaches. We need our recreational coaches to not think enough, if they don't want to, and to just say, this is what you do. This is practice. One, two, three, all the way through 30. Do it. Um, because, quite frankly, the rec coaches um, – are trying a lot of times, they just don't know any better. And the article that I wrote last week, <laughs> it starts with a with a conversation I was having with a friend of mine who over lunch asked me for advice about his U8 boys team because he said, sometimes I lose their attention. I go to them in practice and they're watching the practice next door. Do you have any suggestions? So I gave him some suggestions about playing and doing 1v1s and 2v1s and different type of directional rondos and getting all into this with him. And I kind of lost him. And then I said, well, what do you normally do? And John, this is what he said to me. He said, well, I start them with some stretching and then I do some sprints with them because I want them to develop (laughs) their leg muscles so they stop tripping over the ball. That's legit what he said to me. And I went, oh, crap. We have such a long way to go because he really thinks he's 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 like legit telling me this. This is what he thinks is the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, I, I I know everybody has their horror stories. It'd be kind of funny, actually, like a like a kind of like a social experiment to get maybe all the listeners to the show, like the three four three kind of crowd, to just write down their their funniest experience or their worst experience. I guess you could label it too, and just just write that down and send it in. And just have a collection of just like the <laughs> most embarrassing moments that they've seen. Because mine is absolutely. Hilarious! There's a ten-year-old team, and they're using those parachutes that you know, like the sprint sprinters (laughs) use. And they they start out their practice, and they spent like thirty minutes. everybody's switch, like switching off, like taking the belt off and putting the parachute on each other. And these are ten-year-old girls.
1: Oh my god! Ten-year-old girls. Yeah. Stop it. 10-year-old PPS <laughs> and girls haven't even developed the muscles that they're trying to develop. It's impossible to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish I with know. them. No,
0: it's bad. It's um, bad.
1: That is that is a shame. But but it also speaks to um, you know, this concept of um so so when I started soccer parenting and I would tell people what I'm doing, the collective response I would get from coaches over and over and over again was things like better you than me, or, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're trying to deal with parents. They're, they're the worst, you know, um, and all these crazy soccer parents stories, similar to, we have the crazy coaching stories as well, but I'm really, really, you know, optimistic and sort of hopeful because now when I start telling people what I'm doing with this movement to engage and educate parents and I talk to other coaches they don't think some of them do, of course, but they don't think I'm as crazy as they used to. They don't think that what I'm doing is pointless. Um, slowly we're starting to see people realize the value, the power, um, the, the change that can occur when we actually educate parents about the game, when we educate and engage them and bring them closer and open up those relationships between parents and coaches. So, um, similar to, I think we're hearing less and less of those stories about the crazy rec coaches. Cause now there's more and more content available to them. You know, again, we're just maturing as a soccer nation.
0: Yeah. And building, building the relationship between, um, the coaching staff and the parents is super important. And I think that's one aspect or one side of the story that has not been told to this point, um, when it comes to three, four, three and what we're all about. And, and I say that because I just spent the last couple of weeks editing four hours worth of, uh, worth of video, um, that is basically bringing in the kids or Brian, Brian, um, Brian and brought in the kids for their mid season player evaluations and the parents were with them. And so there's, there's four hours worth of conversation from the whole, from, from Brian talking to all the team or the, every kid on the team and every parent as well. And, and it's just an open conversation. And I that's feel great. like, and I feel like that's an opportunity that a lot of coaches miss. They, I think, I think you said it earlier too. It, it's a very kind of dismissive attitude towards parents where really it should be a, a, a bridge that you should build and you should fortify that bridge as much as possible because the parents are really an important part of the process and we don't say thank you to them enough and and Brian goes out of his way to say thank you to every single parent during those conversations and so that's so something that's that's something that's fresh in my mind because I I just finished you know two weeks editing all those uh all those conversations and that's available for are going to be available for members soon oh uh, i'd love
1: to hear that because yeah. you know that's one of the issues that i have with our coach education and it's kind of the same issues that we have with player development i think that we can agree that You know, we spend too much time on technical training of our players, not enough time on their cognitive, you know, thinking side of the game. Absolutely. And I think the same thing happens with coaches is that we spend way too much time teaching coaches how to do, how to get your 4v4 license, your 7v7, your 9v9 as they're moving and shifting to those different licensing pathways, and within the course there's so much emphasis is placed on the technical and the tactical but we need to really put a lot more focus into this emotional intelligence and you know just by providing coaches those videos where they can see Brian interacting with parents and players and um, see the questions that he asks and the follow-up questions and how he responds to players and parents i mean that stuff is golden and and coaches need to learn from other coaches on, on how to manage these types of situations, and so, you know, that's one of my other missions of soccer parenting right now. John is to um, to advocate to towards you know whether it be United Soccer coaches, the NSCAA, or um, U.S. Soccer, and, and making emotional intelligence a priority in coaching education. So your videos, um, you know, I think will be a great step towards that.
0: Yeah, and and we we recognize the importance of. Of the parents, of of the role of the parent, and we, I guess, have kind of a unique uh, viewpoint uh, of that because we've kind of been working with uh, the uh, say upper echelon. Yeah, I guess you could say upper echelon, <clears throat> but like the the kind of like the higher end of the player pool in Southern California. Sure for for quite a while Yeah, i'd say you have the higher (laughs) um and and i say we because i'm obviously representing 343 i personally have not done that that's mostly brian and gary um but i say we because it's our company um but uh but we we recognize that 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 transcends levels like the way that the way that brian interacts with the parents and the players at the at the highest level that that can absolutely be applied to the mid-level to the low level to the entry level It, it, it transcends all those levels so that that information is for the most part universal which is which is awesome to see and and transcends age groups as well so there's the the way that the you interact with a 14 year old and a 10 year old and a 16 year old. There's a lot of similarities there. You don't, you don't need to to have this completely different approach. So I think that's important for people to understand as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just called compassion. It's called connection. Um, and I've been lucky enough just in my playing and coaching to, you know, be mentored by Tony DeChico, who just, you know, sadly passed away last year or earlier this year. And, um, you know, Tony was was amazing with connection, with his um, ability to talk to a player, whether or not they were an eight year old recreational level player or a national team player, and make them feel more confident in themselves, and um, you know, be able to relate to them. And this ability for us as coaches to connect with our players to connect with our parents is really rooted in emotional intelligence. And, um, you know, it's something that I think all coaches should be digging deeper into to see where they have some deficiencies and how they can improve, um, when it comes to emotional intelligence. And you're right. It does transcend, um, in many ways, all, all ages. It's just a matter of how you feel confident about yourself and your self awareness and then your self management, and then building that into just your social awareness. And then obviously as a coach, building it into team management. So, you know, great, great building blocks to a successful and positive youth soccer environment. And player feedback is is another big thing that I talk about a lot. You know, parents need to demand player feedback. A lot of times they do because, you know, a lot of times they don't. And, um, I think that clubs just need to make it a regular part of for their higher level teams. You can't ask a recreational coach to give feedback. They don't have the skills to be able to do that. But if you're a paid coach in a club environment, then, um, then you need to, the, the clubs need to make player feedback, a regular systematic part of the youth soccer environment. And that's a, a perfect example of the Soccer Parenting Association and the work that we're doing. Is that we need to make, you know, we need to make that um, concept just a more commonly talked about thing in youth soccer. That parents should expect. It should be an expectation for parents that they get feedback.
0: You know what popped into my head as as you were talking there though is if you make it mandatory, it becomes disingenuous, and a and a pa- a player, sorry, a coach. All of a sudden, ha- is thinking in the back of his head like, "Oh fuck! Like I got to do these player evaluations. Like, yeah, oh but- my god! Like, oh, like that, that's think- that, that's what popped into my head.
1: Yeah. And then the,
0: the coaches, if it's mandatory or standardized, and there's a sheet that they have to fill out, then they'll just, yeah, circle. Oh, okay, f- uh, zero to five. Okay, this player's a four in this area, three in this area. Like, I I've seen efforts to 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 do something like that before, and. Maybe that's why the thought popped into my head because yeah. I remember it being very disingenuous. Well, but go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the word quality just comes back. I mean, yeah. But we, if you're a quality teacher, I mean, teachers have to give report cards. Yeah. I'm sure some teachers hate it and they take the easy way and they copy paste the same comments for all the kids. <laughs> you know, I mean, I worked multiple camps and there were some camps where that was the norm. Like you copy-paste comments or you write the same thing. Or, you know, some camps I would work for that was, you know, and it would just be totally half-assed. And then I go and I work for number one camps with Dr. Maknik. I work for Soccer Plus camps with Tony. I spend an hour at least on every single evaluation for every single kid in my group. That's the standard. And, you know, we need to have higher standards in club soccer. And one of those things must be player feedback. And if coaches aren't willing to do it and then they're going to be not a quality coach and parents then can recognize it and they can choose to put their player in a better environment. That's what this whole movement is about.
0: And Sky, do you know how you get rid of people like that? How's that? Promotion relegation. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. No, you know, but that's how you find thing. the hacks. <laughs> yeah. You know the other thing that's going to totally change you, soccer, that I follow actually more closely than promotion relegation is this whole training compensation and solidarity thing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: That is going to – I mean, I'm, I've been following the lawsuit pretty closely. I know it's back with FIFA. Hopefully it will come back to the United States and be litigated in our court system. I mean, if, if those training – compensation and solidarity fees come into our youth system that will incentivize our clubs to provide a better environment, to hire better coaches, to have higher standards, like nothing else will. And the fact that that money is sitting with MLS now and not getting into the hands of the clubs who develop these players is just shocking to me. So I've been really following that closely.
0: Shocking. I like your choice of words. We say that a lot (laughs) too. (laughs) Hey, I, I know you're... You have to, you have to get going in a few minutes. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about today, um, and, and, um, if you need a second to think about it, please take your time. But I I wanted to get your favorite Tony DeChico story.
1: Oh gosh. Um. I know that that
0: he was a big part of, of how you kind of developed as a player, a coach and and just as a, as a human, I think as well. So
1: for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was so, so fortunate, um, to work with Tony. Um, I worked for Doc for, for five or six years and then realized that with Doc's blessing sort of went to work for Tony because, you know, that's where all the national team players were and I felt like I needed to do that. So that's what brought me there. And, and then seeing these, these, the quality of his staff and the quality of people that he put together, um, you know that certainly is is um was a, a life changing experience for me. My best friends in soccer these days are all coaches that I worked with at at Soccer Plus camps um, and and through Dr. Magnus camps. To be fair, um, so Tony had this really unique ability to develop culture like no nothing else. Um, you know we've all worked camps, we've all heard about camps, we've all you know as coaches experienced them in a variety of forms. And um, it's hard for me to qualify Soccer plus as a camp, because it was really just the farce of a soccer camp. <laughs> and behind all of the training sessions and behind um, the pressure training that we do, and all the amazing technical training and the you know decision-making awareness that we are bringing to kids, the late night lectures, behind all of that was this concept that we were transforming a child's life in their experience at soccer plus. And we helped kids realize time and time again, that they were capable of so much more than they thought they were capable of. And we would see that in feedback from campers time and time again. Um, and parents like, what did you do to my child? They came back a changed person. Um, Tony was, was, so competitive. We would have these staff games that, you know, would end up lasting almost until the next session started sometimes, um, because he just always wanted to win and, um, and being fair was really important to him. Um, there was this one, one time where we were playing, um, a staff game and we would count corners. So, um, instead of taking corner kicks, three corners, and it was a goal and it was like, playing golden goal three to three and i our team i was on tony's team i always made a point to try to be on his team (laughs) um we got our third corner and so we felt like we won and then the goalkeeper who was playing a goal um said no it wasn't it was a goal it's a goal kick and there was this massive battle that ensued to which tony just put his head down and walked away And so he said, fine, just play, just play. Because, you know, he's sort of leading the the whole thing. So, you know, whatever Tony says goes. So he's like, puts his head down. And then, damn it, if like 20 seconds later, they didn't score a brilliant goal. Of course, it was brilliant on me, you know, <laughs> so that we lost the game. Oh, he was so pissed off. And I was like a- cowering, hiding behind um, one of the other coaches as he was like ranting about how frustrated he was. So behind all of this, gentleness and behind this amazing ability to connect with people and to just give and give and give, which is what Tony just did over and over again. He was just this unrelenting amount of energy to just continually give more and more of himself self to people, um, through his coaching and through his connection with people was this real competitor behind all of that was this man who really, really, um, loved competition. And, um, and he was a great friend to me and to, to my kids and to my family and um, is someone that, of course, I'm always going to take with me on my coaching journey. And I think what I'll probably you know, remember the most about him is, is this concept of connection and how important it is, how important it is to take an extra moment to stop everything in practice, pause it all. And to walk over to a player and give them a high five for something amazing that they just did that they've been working on, um, and to just to acknowledge the positive and recognize the positive in people, and the ability um, to just trust in people's ability to be better human beings. I would say is what I, I really took away from my experiences working with him.
0: If if I can if I can say like one thing I've come across from people I've talked to about Tony. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's just that he was a super genuine guy it, oh. it, that, that he just, he, he loved the sport. He loved being around people. And, and he was just a genuine guy. Every interaction that people had with him was just a super genuine experience. And I think that, that holds uh that holds a lot of weight.
1: It does. And, and really, John, I mean, that's what, that's what we need in our game right now is, is we need more people that are genuine, more people that, um, you know, we can trust. We need to build up this trust factor, whether it be our trust in U.S. soccer, whether it be our trust in, um, you know, coaches or trust in parents. In all these relationships, that's what we need to develop so that we do have a more genuine culture. And I would say that would be um, a perfect word to describe Tony De Chico.
0: Is there is there anything else um, that you... I guess, learn from Tony that you're now passing along to to younger coaches or, or to parents like a specific piece of advice that you can, that um, you can give to people?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I, I thought about Tony the other day when I sent an email to the team that I'm coaching, to the parents. Um, as, as I said, I'm working with a U10 team. And I think it's this concept of vulnerability. Um, I sent an email to the parents saying, you know, just a couple of you know, normal things like, don't forget to bring your other uniforms, all of those types of things. And then I just said, and as an aside, I just want to let you know that something I've observed about my own coaching style during practice is that I'm talking too much to the kids, I'm giving them too much direction. I feel like the players in practice, I feel like I'm doing a good job with it in the games, but in practice, I'm I'm overwhelming them a little bit. So this is something I'm going to be working on as a coach to reduce the communication I have during training. And just that little bit of vulnerability is goes a long way to establishing some trust in that relationship because it's you know, that's what I'm working on. And why not tell the parents? Um, And I think within our youth environment, you know, that's the way we need to be. I've heard stories about Tony and talking to his, um, you know, Boston Breakers team after a loss or, um, you know, where where he'll just be really honest with them and just say, hey, guys, I want to take ownership of a mistake I made doing this, this and this. And, you know, I think a coach's ability to do that um, just really shows their confidence in themselves, their coaching efficacy, their, their belief in themselves and their ability to, to, to help players learn and be confident in themselves. And I think that um, as we get more and more quality coaches working with our kids, working in the pro ranks, working collegiately, then we're going to see more and more um, improvement in the game as coaches can get beyond themselves and really continue to focus on what's best for the kids in terms of development.
0: I, I want to build on that. And I, and I know you have like five minutes left. Yeah, I'm, good. Um, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Um, I moved things okay, you know, cool. move things around. You know,
1: got to move things around for three, four, three. <laughs> um,
0: because I feel like where that vulnerability is supposed to show is is a place that doesn't exist in youth soccer. In, in the United States and that's the locker mm-hmm. room and and that locker room culture is just it's absent from from the youth soccer experience for the most part and as if I could give a piece of advice to, to coaches right now mm-hmm. is you have to find a way to recreate that locker room experience or that locker room culture with whatever environment that you are in. And you have to put yourself in that, that vulnerable spot, whether that is um, doing what you did and telling the players what you're working on, or giving them the honest feedback about the game, or or information about practice. But you have to recreate that locker room environment where where people feel like there's that 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 space to to be safe and and open up and and talk about what's on your mind, because that doesn't happen during practice. It doesn't happen in the parking lot. The, to to be honest, it, it just doesn't happen as much as it should be happening. And I I remember uh, when I was coaching the high school team, uh, we kind of made like the the stadium press box, like where the reporters would hang out during high school football. We turned that into our locker room because we didn't have a locker room. So there was a whiteboard up there, and actually I I demanded <laughs> mm-hmm. I demanded that they install a whiteboard there, and it took forever. It took like three months. But we, we, got, we got a whiteboard put up there. And that's where, that's where we would meet before games and after games, not at halftime, but, um, but that became our locker room experience. And that, that alone, that, that became, I think, one of the most important parts of developing that team that I coached. And like you mentioned, like, that's, that's the area where you're supposed to be vulnerable, And it's really hard to recreate that in the youth soccer environment, but coaches, if you can, that is, that is something that's very, very important and you will see benefits.
1: That's great. And you did that with something physical, that whiteboard, but you know, that can be done with, um, a moment of finding connection amongst each other, each other before practice, um, Mm -hmm. you -hmm. know. Or a ritual type thing that you do towards the end of practice i mm-hmm. think I think that's that um is fantastic advice
0: yeah it, it can be it can be recreated in like a a a structured team talk where you set it as, you set aside ten minutes before or at the end of each practice or at the beginning of or end of each week, however you want to do it, you have to recreate that experience though you have to recreate it in in my opinion i I feel like that is humongous, and again that's yeah. kind of fresh in my head too because I just spent. Uh, the previous two weeks before I before I did these um, the player evaluation um, modules for three four three I spent the previous two weeks uh, editing video of locker room talk basically from Brian like we we have video of of the guys getting ready to play games when they were in Spain or getting ready to play games here in the United States and 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 we released the pre and and halftime and post game talks from Brian the real ones. And that's just, it's an experience that, it's an experience that you just, you have to, you have to recreate in my, in, in my opinion. Sorry for repeating myself 10 times.
1: No, I love that you're doing that stuff, John, because those are the things that coaches can see. And like I said before, with this term, this concept of emotional intelligence, really, really um, pick up some important lessons on that they're not really getting anywhere else. So um, I think you guys doing that is, is um, that's golden.
0: Yeah, I can't think of a of a USSF course I've taken where they've even mentioned parents or mentioned the locker room or mentioned a lot of the things that that are are super important. And you touched on it earlier, where it's like, yeah, there's a huge emphasis on on learning, you know, four v four or seven v seven or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. But yeah, there's so many things outside of the field or outside of the the, the drills that are crucial to player development that we just kind of just don't, we, we, we never touch on, you know, as, yeah. as a, as a country.
1: And or we don't touch on yet, or we're just starting to touch on. I'm really actually really optimistic about us. Soccer's um, new coaching education courses. And I've been collaborating a little bit with Frank Tashan from us. Soccer. Um, he's in charge. I think he's the, this, his title is director of coaching, um, administration, but, um, you know, he's got some really fantastic concepts and thoughts about coaching education and vulnerability in coaching and parent education. So I think the tide is turning and all the people I've talked to that have been to the new federation courses that have rolled out for the A and the B have said great things about, um, the connection that they feel like they have to the instructors that no longer are these, these huge walls up, um, huge egos up from, from these instructors. So, I think it's important that we remain a little bit hopeful in terms of at least the coach development that's happening from U.S. soccer and their education, Um, you know, in terms of organizationally or, you know, some other things with U.S. soccer. I think we can still continue to question. I think it's important that we do. But, um, you know, I think um, I'm pretty excited to see a new culture start to evolve. Um, We're a large country with a lot of challenges, but. It seems like um, you know, we're starting down a little bit of a different pathway, which makes me uh, like I said, feel a little bit optimistic.
0: Yeah, I'm I I do have a a little chip on my shoulder because I still can't even get into a C course. it's bugging the shit out of me. That's a whole uh, other story in itself.
1: (laughs) I know, I know. Well well, their their concept now, and I did a webinar with Frank Tishan that's on my my soccer parenting site about this. I mean, Like, who really needs their C licensing? Um, You know, they really want to focus the majority of coaches, stay on their their younger, their lower-level licensing that they're going to roll out this spring and have the C really be for um, professional coaches. And then if you're in the C, if you're on a professional pathway or if you're on a youth pathway, um, so they've been thoughtful about it. But, yeah, this is a huge country with so many coaches. And that, it's a it's a really large task at hand. I think that's why they've opened the door to the United Soccer Coaches to allow them to teach some of their courses because they realize they just quite frankly don't have enough instructors.
0: Yeah, it it was it, I got stuck in a in a very uh, probably unique situation, but a frustrating position where I needed my C license to mm-hmm. get a job with a with a high level academy, and, and the job was the job was offered to me, but because I didn't have my C license, it, they were going to delay hiring me. Right. And they said, okay, work on getting your C license. I was like, okay, cool. I couldn't get into a C course yeah. because I wasn't attached to a team. And oh. then I got, and then I got stuck in this very just weird limbo Big, yeah. position. Right. And, uh, and uh, I think I'm going to save the rest for another podcast episode. <laughs> well,
1: that, that <laughs> happened with the DA too. When they announced the girl's DA, last year and they said that all of our directors are going to have the a license all the coaches are going to be on a pathway to their air license they realized there weren't even enough a licenses in the girl in the women's game to be able to hire enough people so they had to change their standards just shortly after after pushing them out so
0: yep and i i have yeah i have enough content to do an entire episode probably (laughs) just me talking to my computer but uh (laughs) of my experience with that and the emails that i have back and forth with some Of the organizations. It's, oh my gosh, that's going to be, that's going to be a fun one. That'll ruffle feathers for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So where, where can people actually find more, uh, more information about you and about soccer parenting and my soccer parenting and, uh, and whatever else you're up to?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, um, a couple of ways, um, obviously the sites are soccerparenting.com. The membership site is mysoccerparenting.com. I'm on Twitter at Soccer Parenting, Facebook. um, And then um, be on the lookout soon for information for my Soccer Parenting Summit. I'm doing the second annual Soccer Parenting Summit where I push out um, 15 to 18 speakers over the course of the weekend. We did it last year. It was phenomenal. This year's going to be amazing as well. That will be the first weekend in December. So um, between all of those websites, Soccer Parenting Summit, Soccer Parenting, my Soccer Parenting, you can find me. Um, Email is probably the best way to reach out to me. If you want a response right away.
0: All right. Any last words for, for the listeners?
1: Um, I would say that we can all just think about how we can establish trust in our relationships, whether that be with our players, whether that be with other coaches, with the club directors, with parents, um, as we start moving to that environment where we have trust filled organizations um, we will see the growth we'll see the innovation, the collaboration, the partnering um and the loyalty that as coaches we're all we're all seeking um with our with our environment so um for me that's that's the root of everything is trust and um and I appreciate being able to to spend this time and and talk to your followers about you know the importance of developing those types of relationships and the the work that they're doing because you know we're impacting kids lives we're positively changing the the lives of kids uniquely as a coach and um and it's it's a lot of um impact that we can have and the more we take it really really seriously the more uh deeply that impact will be felt
0: absolutely And thank you for, uh, setting aside an hour of your time. We appreciate that. And and thank you for the work that you're doing. And maybe, uh, maybe we'll see you sometime soon in the future. Maybe we'll, we'll meet up again at a, at a marketing summit. (laughs) (laughs) Are they doing that this year? I haven't seen anything about it this year.
1: No, I don't think they're, I don't think they're doing it again, but, uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure our paths will cross as they do in the soccer world
0: of course and that's a whole nother episode we talked about that last week on the phone but yeah. uh <laughs> we could do a whole nother episode on the the many many circles of u.s soccer uh, all right sky uh again thank you for your time and and i look forward to catching up with you again in the future
1: thanks so much john all right bye bye
0: All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. A big thank you to Sky Eddie Bruce for joining me. I hope that you guys check out all of her stuff at soccerparenting.com. If you want more information, uh, you can always visit 343coaching.com and you can find the links to all of her work in the write up section of this podcast. If you want to learn more about our programs, our free seven week course, you can find that at 343coaching.com. And you can also find our multi-phase premium course, which I highly recommend. But uh, if you want more from this podcast, over 200 written articles, videos, all kinds of stuff, you can find that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers three, four, and three, coaching, all spelled out.com. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you guys. And we will catch you next time here on the 343 podcast.